When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. In the seventh, Michael Saunders home run for the Jays to uh, tie it up. Going to bring in Pat Steinberg in a minute here. I just want to read a uh, text message from Wesley. He sent it in just before the break. He's, uh, we're talking about the arena funding. He says, regardless where the money comes from, city, province, or federal, it's all taxpayers' money. Say it as it is. Multiple exclamation marks. That is from uh, Wesley. Okay, let's let's just clarify this and, and straighten it out because. Um, we were specifically talking about the incorrect belief that uh, property taxes will go up to specifically pay for the arena. And I mentioned the CRL, which is a community revitalization levy. And perhaps I, I, I made it sound like this is just magic money that appears out of, out of nowhere. I'm just going to read straight off the city of Edmonton's website so everything can be clear for, for Wesley uh, and in, and anybody else. Now, if you don't believe that this plan is going to work, that's fine. Uh, but I'm telling you, this is the plan the city has put, put forth. It's not the first time in, in the history of Alberta that a CRL has been used. Okay? This is on the city of Edmonton's website. Business and residential property owners in a CRL area may ask if they pay higher property taxes. The answer is no, they do not. Owning property in a CRL area does not change the total amounts collected in municipal taxes or provincial education property taxes. The tax bill for property located in a CRL area is the same as it would be if the property was located outside a CRL area. The difference is the allocation of a portion of the property tax revenue. With a CRL, a portion of the property tax revenue generated by properties within the area is located to fund the area's municipal development projects and infrastructure improvements. When property values within a CRL increase as a result of new economic growth and development in the area, the taxes arising from these increased values are allocated to paying the cost of improvements. In this way, the general property taxes in the rest of the city do not pay for new public amenities or infrastructure within the CRL area. So what the plan is here, the arena goes downtown, more stuff comes up downtown in the surrounding area of the arena in this CRL zone, uh, so there's more uh, stuff to tax and there's more money available and that pays uh, things off. And right on the uh, Rogers Place plan, it says the city's projections show it is likely the downtown CRL will generate enough revenue to fund all of the projects in the CRL plan. This includes Rogers Place and also new parks, sewer lines and downtown street improvements. Okay, so that's how it works. I'm sorry if I didn't clarify that uh, earlier. Uh, again, this is all accessible to the public information on the city of uh, Edmonton's website. 
you know, if you don't believe that is going to happen, it's fine. You can believe that's not going to happen. If you don't believe that the, the money's going to be there or the development's going to happen, fine. Though it looks like the development's going going pretty well. Uh, but, I mean, the core of what I was talking about there, Wesley, to begin with, was, was the incorrect belief that everybody's property taxes will go up to pay for the arena. The, the, I just explained how the CRL works. Okay? So there, I just told it as it is, Wesley. Uh, Pat Steinberg from Calgary could be learning about all this stuff if they get their arena and stadium projects going. How are you doing, Pat? I'm good, buddy. The uh, the, the whole concept of the CRL is uh, not foreign to us down here. It's part of the uh, it's part of the proposal for the new building in Calgary on uh, the downtown west side down here. Uh, they're looking for a fairly significant uh, community revitalization levy, and it's funny. Uh, one of the big things about the CRL is that it's been used in this city before. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not sure how familiar you and, and, and your listeners are uh, of the city of Calgary. I would imagine somewhat, uh, somewhat familiar, knowing how close we are. But so on the, on the east side of the city, it had been a fairly dilapidated and run-down area for, for quite some time. And so they decided to uh, revitalize it, and they decided to start with some gentrification. And part of that... I believe, now I'm, I'm the least politically inclined person on the planet, but I believe uh, that was the first ever CRL in this city was for what we call down here the uh, East Village Project, and they used the CRL to help infuse money into it, and, and now it's it's turned into a really cool, funky area that, that's really starting to come along, and they put a lot of work into it. So one of the big things for the, you know, the... the uh, city politicians who are on board with the Calgary Next project and one of the big things of, uh, from the Flames perspective in pushing this is that it worked with that project and it seems to have been a success with that project so there's a good chance it'll be a success if they do it on the other end of downtown in the West Village so uh, we, we, are, we are familiar with the concept of the CRL in Calgary too. So what's what's the latest uh, with, with the next project? I think last time we talked, it, it seemed to have uh, lost a, a little bit of steam, or maybe there were uh, a lot of people looking at it as unrealistic. Is, is anything developed? Well, it's kind of been in a stalling process. We're kind of um, waiting for the next step. So basically, there's a few things at work here. So the city came out with a... Uh, the city came out with a report a number of months ago. It would have been in May, because I remember it was the day Bruce Boudreau was fired in, in Anaheim. <laughs> was the same day the city came out with their, uh, with their report that basically the, the report suggested, it was done by an independent group, and it, it basically suggested that uh, the, the idea for Calvary Next is not sound, uh, and there are better ways of going about this. Uh, it would be it would be better for the city if and it would be more uh, financially realistic if the city built a new hockey only facility and renovated McMahon Stadium and as opposed to building this huge multi-purpose football hockey facility uh, on on the west side of downtown. The Flames um, are now still waiting for their response, uh, and I'm just trying to remember now off the top of my head if they have come with their formal response or not uh but what also has what has also happened since that time is the city has commissioned a report into researching the potential of this city hosting the 2026 winter olympic games and that 
it were to go forward, would be very much tied in. As much as our mayor and as much as Ken King and the Calgary Next uh, people are, are, are trying to downplay its connection, I don't think there's any doubt about it that an Olympic bid and a new facility like that would go hand-in-hand hand together. And uh, So that has kind of added a little bit to it. And I believe January and April are the dates that we're going to hear a little bit more as to how this report into potentially hosting the 2026 Olympic Games went. So I would imagine we'll get some more movement on this sometime here in the fall and then another step forward in January in terms of what the Olympic report said. So, look, I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's a slam dunk by any means. I mean, you know, we paid a lot of attention down here to what happened to the lead-up to Roger's place being rubber-stamped and you know, I still think there's a lot of uh, finagling and wrangling to do. I still think there's a there's a chance that this thing gets worse before it gets better. And I don't know if we're going to be talking about the you know Murray Edwards, the owner of the Calgary Flames, talking about moving the team to another city or, or or that type of stuff. But I do think that there is the potential for this to have a couple of more bad turns before they finally get to a resolution. So I I think there's a little bit more wrangling to go down here, and I certainly think that. Uh, there are uh, there are a few things that still need to be worked out before this thing gets signed off on. Well, I'm sure you're right. It's a difficult and painful process, and it's it's something cities don't go through very often. Building uh, arenas of that magnitude. I, I mean, it's not like you you build an LRT line and then you know how to build all the rest. Sorry, bad example here in Edmonton. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. It's 7.15. This portion of the show brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Uh, you did a little bit of writing yesterday, Pat. What's, uh, what's going on here with, uh, with Johnny Goudreau? What do you, what do you see uh, happening? What's the delay? Well, I mean, what's happening is he hasn't signed yet. And as we move closer to the start of training camp, we're now into a few weeks away from this thing getting going. Well, people are starting to people are starting to grip it a little bit down here, and there's a lot of people wondering why this thing hasn't been signed, especially now that Sean Monahan's more than a week removed from signing his seven-year contract extension. Now, there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hand wringing going on down here, and for good reason. Look, Johnny Gaudreau is. One of the most dynamic players this team has had in decades, and on top of that, he's he's a crucial piece if they're going to return to the prominence that they hope that they are going to get to in the next couple of years. So having him locked up long term is obviously a huge priority. But there's the there's the rub, and there's kind of the biggest sticking point as to maybe why this thing hasn't been done yet. Because I think long term is a bit of a sticking point right now. Uh, and, and so, you know, you referenced the, the article I wrote yesterday, and from, from how I understand, from those I've talked to and, you know, in, in the organization and, and one person outside of the organization with some knowledge of what's going on, the understanding is right now that, you know, is, is a long-term seven, eight-year deal the direction Gaudreau wants to go? Because there's no doubt that the Flames' desire to sign the player to a long-term deal. They would like to sign Gaudreau to a seven- or an eight-year deal. But a few things that work on the Gaudreau side of things. First of all, I think there's an understanding on his side that 
even more so than Monaghan, a bridge deal could really pay off. And and I kind of compare it to the P.K. Subban situation from a number of years ago. Different players, different positions, but similar situations in that Subban, highly touted player, great start to his NHL career, comes off his entry-level deal, and it seemed like it just made sense for Montreal to sign him to a long-term contract. Well, for whatever reason, they couldn't agree on what a long-term deal would look like. So they signed a bridge deal right as the shortened 2013 season is getting going, and it's a, for a very, very reasonable cap hit, but it's only for two years. Well, what does Subban do during those two years? He grossly outperforms the contract. He wins the Norris Trophy, and next thing you know, the Habs are forced to sign him to an eight-year, $72 million deal, making him one of the highest-paid players in the NHL. And just imagine had the Habs been able to agree to a long-term contract at the time they would have been able to get you know eight years 48 million as opposed to eight years 72 million dollars that's how that's how grossly Subban outperformed his contract and so I don't think that they're going to be able to get Goudreau to as manageable a cap that his Subban was I think it was like 2.75 or three million dollars or something like that I think even on a bridge deal Goudreau would be a little higher than that but there's the risk you know if Goudreau signed a two-year bridge deal at you know five and a half million dollars per and he puts up 75 80 points well then all of a sudden he's a three-time point per game or close to point per game player in this league he was number three in Calder Trophy voting in his first year that all of a sudden turns him from a seven, seven and a half million dollar into probably a nine million dollar player or more by by this year by this league's economics as they grow. So I think that's why there is a little bit of wrangling as okay, is short term better or is long term better? And then there's kind of the, the the biggest thing that makes everybody cringe most down here, and that is the persistent rumor that perhaps Goudreau does not want to be in Alberta, does not want to be in Calgary long term, and. Everything Gaudreau's done throughout his entire career and, 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 and ever since he joined the Flames organization in 2011 suggests that that rumor is false, and yet it still exists. It still persists. There's still people who say that, you know, that's, that's what Gaudreau's thinking. And so, you know, a, a deal of, of an eight-year variety, uh, some people think maybe he doesn't want to sign that because he'd like to get to unrestricted free agency quicker. So I think right now the biggest thing is determining whether or not this is going to be close to a max deal or maybe more of a, a three, four, five-year deal type thing. And, and, and I think that there's a lot of back and forth as to what's best for the team right now and what's best for the players. So I think term is the biggest sticking point, and there's a couple of other things there. You know, talking about right now, I think the lack of comparables for Gaudreau because he is such a unique player in such a unique situation. There's not a lot of guys who have been able to do this coming out of college as a fourth-round pick. He just, the, people point to Tarasenko or you know Taylor Hall or or Patrick Kane as perhaps comparable contract situations, but Tarasenko's probably the best one, but even still different than Gaudreau in terms of the time he signed and his age and how much NHL experience he had. And then Hall and, and Kane's contracts were signed like, you know, four and seven years ago, respectively. So I think that's a problem too. So there, it, it is definitely starting to get to crunch time. And every single day, I don't wake up with an email that says there's a Gaudreau signing, there's a Gaudreau extension or a news conference coming up. Uh, it, it becomes more and more realistic that, you know, maybe we are talking about some of training camp being missed. Maybe we are talking about uh, a slight holdout here. I don't. I, I still don't think it's going to happen, but I also can't jam my head in the sand and say there's no way it's going to happen either. Yeah. 
Well, that, yeah, that's interesting stuff. I mean, it, it's rare for a, a player of that caliber to go this deep into the, uh, the offseason with, with, without a deal, for sure. Um, Pat, just uh, quickly before uh, I, I, I let you go, any thoughts on the, uh, the Labor Day home-and-home? Home? I mean, I think, it's, I think if the Eskimos can get a split, that's going to be a victory. I, I thought the Stampeders were going to drop off, but they are as good as ever. I got to be with you. I, I, I thought they were going to drop off too. I'm a little surprised that with all the turnover we've seen, the Stampeders remain, you know, unquestionably the the best team right now through ten weeks of the CFL season. Like, I'm stunned that it, there's been this much separation. Now Edmonton seems like they're starting to get it together, and that that could certainly help in this conversation. And you know, the 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 BC Lions have. The, the only team that's beat them to this point, but man, I, I'm I'm with you. I did not I did not see the Stampeders running away with the West and um, being able to do what they've done like this to this point. As for the the, the home and home with the Eskimos, yeah, I think that I, I think that it'll be tough for Edmonton on Labor Day down here. I do. Stamps have been really good at home. They've looked extremely dominant at times uh, on on home field and 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 the thing about. This matchup is the thing. The thing that's intrigued me most about the Eskimos this year is just kind of how polar opposite they were to last year's Grey Cup winning team. Last year's Grey Cup team was predicated on a terrifying defense, and 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 still with Mike Riley and, and Darrell Walker and Adarius Bowman, they had themselves a, a very very formidable offense. We all thought of them as that defensive team. Well, it's kind of flipped this year. Riley is going to have, if he continues on pace like this, he's going to have one of the best passing seasons we've seen in a long time in this league walker and and bowman are on pace for like 1800 yards each are in that range and so uh, what's interesting is the the eskimos are kind of built on their offense right now even though it looks like defensively they're starting to come around calcy's defense has very quietly crept near the top of most of the statistical categories in the CFL. And I think that if there's one defense that can really make that high-flying, high-powered Edmonton offense kind of struggle a little bit, it might be Calgary. So I think I think a split is realistic for Edmonton. Uh, I do think it's going to be tough for the Eskimos to win down here come Labor Day, though. Yeah, I'm with you there, Pat. Hey, buddy, thanks a lot for your time. I know we'll be doing this a lot more once uh, hockey season gets going in terms of actual action on the ice, which is the most fun thing to talk about, of course. Really appreciate your time, Pat. Hey, sorry for stiffing you last week. I'll never forgive myself. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and I'm just so glad that you've been you've been so gracious and let me come back on your show regardless. Yeah, well, the 20 bucks you sent in the mail helped. See you, buddy. Bye, buddy. <laughs> that is Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network joining us inside sports on 630 Chat. It is interesting what's going on with uh, Johnny Goudreau. And as Pat mentioned, the you know there continue to be the whispers. Maybe he doesn't want to be in Calgary long term. Maybe he would not like to sign a 78-year deal. Maybe he'd be out to uh, like to sign a shorter deal, get to unrestricted free agency and, and uh, not be in Calgary anymore. Interesting storyline to watch here as we roll towards the end of the offseason. World Cup camps starting next week, of course, and games will start on September 15th. We will be bringing you play-by-play from the World Cup of Hockey right here on 630 Chad. Bob Stoffer coming up after the news. Blue Jays and Orioles 3-3 in the 8th. Quick timeout inside sports on Chad. Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Will Jordan Eberle be on Connor McDavid's wing? 
We'll talk about that with Bob Stoffer after the 7.30 news. He uh, tweeted out his potential live combinations for the new season. We'll hit on some other topics with Bob as well. Do you want to mention Jarrett Stoll signing a uh, professional tryout contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets today. He's 34, played last year with the Rangers in Minnesota, had nine points in 80 games. Chris Higgins signs a PTO with the Calgary Flames. Uh, a little bit more from Eskimos general manager Ed Hervey. He was asked about Aaron Grimes and Willie Jefferson having been cut by their NFL teams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's guys that we're well aware of, uh, guys that we're familiar with, uh, guys that we've been in, you know, we've been in contact with. But, you know, the timeline is in their hands when they choose to, you know, make decisions on their future. Um, but we're focused on the guys that we have here at this point. And uh, if, if and those opportunities come for those guys. We'll have a chance to speak with them. Those are two really good football players. And if the opportunity was for those guys to come back, we you know, we would welcome them with open arms, but they are free agents, and I'm sure that there are other teams out there that would want their services as well. All right, uh, full Ed Hervey availability by going to the uh, Eskimos page on 630ched.com. A little bit of video as uh, well if you go to the 630ched YouTube page or uh, Ched TV right on the website. All right, 728. We are at halftime of Inside Sports on 630ched. Bob Stoffer coming up. Tom Gazzola from Oilers TV will be in studio. Always great to catch up with Tom. We're going to talk to a local teenager named Jared Sokol who's getting a petition going that he wants to bring to the Edmonton Minor Hockey Association to bring back body checking in uh, certain levels of bantam and midget hockey. Jared will join us between 8 and 8.30 to tell us why that is so important to him. Young man taking some initiative there. You can always text 630-630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. You can get me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins. We're back after the news. Inside Sports on Chet. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Uh, just quickly here, in, in case you missed this on the news, because there's been a couple texts that says, like, Mark, are you out there in the newsroom? I think he's on a call. But I, I know we've had some texts here about uh, fire smoke around Clareview. Uh, I, I know we have a news story here. If you, In case you missed it, Edmonton Fire Rescue are at the waste management facility on the city's northeast trying to contain a fire. So uh, that's the story there. Appreciate everybody texting in to 630-630. Of course, you can always text in uh, stuff you see going on and uh, let us know what's happening. Our number straight to the newsroom, if you ever want to reach us, is 780-466-NEWS, 466-6397. So Mark Wolven in the uh, Ched Newsroom, keeping an eye on that. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on 630 Ched. My name is Reed Wilkins. Matthew Panaschik is working hard on the other side of the window. We are counting down, well... But, you know, I was going to say hockey season, but a lot of stuff going on in the fall. We're less than a week until the Labor Day Classic. The NFL's uh, ramping up. Baseball's going to get a little more exciting. The Blue Jays are now down 5-3 to the Orioles after 8, so their four-game uh, winning streak is on the line. And uh, i got to tell you, Bob Stoffer's a, uh, 
a busy man hosting Oilers Now every day and uh, sending out a variety of tweets, including some line combination predictions. These Stoffer projected lines. McDavid between Lucic and Eberle. Nugent Hopkins between Pouliot and Pugliarve. Dreisaitl with Maroon and Yakupov and Letestu with Hendricks and Cassian. Bob, you already have your, uh, your, your coaching hat on, buddy. How are you doing? Yeah, I just... Yeah, I wanted to shake it up, you know, Reed. Like, uh, you know, there's, hey, is this, you know, we've mentioned the Matt Benning thing and uh, Joe Recklitz signing with the, the minor league team. And it's, it's funny because Joe Recklitz actually fought uh, in a preseason game about four years ago, Milan Lucic, when the wrecking ball was with the, the Washington Capitals. But, uh, you know, it's with Nail Yakupov, I mean, I, I want to include him in those line combinations, but I do still think there's an outside chance that maybe something happens between now and the start of the season. You know, uh, you never know. The landscape changed for some teams. And so I wanted to have some fun with it. It's funny how many people believe that McDavid and Lucic should have Yakupov on their line and everybody should play with Pouliot and Nugent Hopkins. And that would put uh, Leon with Pouliot Yarby and Patrick Maroon. So, you know, lots of conjecture, and that's all part of it, and that's part of what we do. We have fun with stuff like this. There's serious, uh, somewhat depressing matters on a daily uh, basis covered by the people in the newsroom, and you and me get to work that proverbial toy department of life. <laughs> well, the line combinations are always fun. The thing is, they probably won't last more than five or six games, if that, once we get into the season. And unfortunately, we got to recognize the, the possibility of injury, though we hope that the Oilers are hit with them a lot less than they have been in recent seasons. And, and I mean, was uh, was would have Jordan Eberle started the season with Connor McDavid last season? Well, maybe, but he, I mean, Eberle missed the first uh, what was it about quarter of the year. So, but but if everybody's healthy and Yakupov yeah. is here, those I mean, I think the first and fourth lines are probably that way. Um, does Leon Dreisaitl play on the right wing and Lander get a look at center? Does well, could, I, does Kajula play his way onto the team? I could, you know, I think the thing with Lander is he maybe had his opportunity last year and uh, you know he just didn't get it done he only get one chance to make a first impression in life but in the case of Anton Lanner you know he he certainly Todd Nelson knew what he could do and Todd Nelson put him in a position to succeed when he was up here but uh, Anton's body of work under Todd McClellan and uh, Oilers general manager Peter Shirelli has not exactly uh, you know lit it up and I, I think from their perspective like again and I mentioned on uh, certainly on the air and on Twitter a couple of days ago. I, I think the owners are looking at, at bringing a guy in on a PTO. It's not Horkoff. It's, uh, we know now it's not Jared Stoll. If I were Mike Richards, I would look at Edmonton and say to myself, could I beat a guy out for a job there? And if Mike Richards can get his game back, he might be that very uh, sort of you know third-line off. If he gets his game back, he could be a third-line guy. The concern is what's happened the last couple of years in Mike Richards' uh, career, but Mike Richards is going to get a PTO somewhere. Someone's going to give him a chance. There's probably multiple teams in on him, but he needs to decide where he's got the best opportunity to go win a job. So um, there's different balls in the air here, you know, and we're still not at training camp yet. That's still three weeks away. Uh, but, I, I, you know, you and me both know Connor McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Leon Dreisaitl are gone for the World Cup of Hockey. That uh, is going to provide some opportunities for some other players down the middle. Richards is an interesting case. I mean, he's only 31. He doesn't thir- turn 32 in December. I mean, don't forget, this was a guy who uh, has won a couple of Stanley Cups, uh, Olympic gold with Canada. So he was once considered one of the 23 
well, 20 best skaters that our country has to offer, which is uh, which is no small feat. Uh, you know, obviously some uh, some other uh, uh, issues as he's moved along here with his career. Um, is it is it just? foot speed with him because certainly everybody's always spoken highly of of his grit and his leadership well i think part of you know let's make no mistake when mike richards was with the philadelphia flyers he had two or three years where i believe he was a top 10 center in the national hockey league the numbers would support that the one thing about richards is his his compete was off the charts and it almost worked against him because i think he fought out of his weight class a couple times uh, the foot speed is a concern, and I think you and me both have seen that. But last year's back half of the year in playoffs with Washington, and look, we both work with Brennan Ulrich, and Brennan's a big Capitals fan, and he probably wasn't too bemused by Richard's performance. I think you throw that right out the window because he got such a late start on the year. So I would be intrigued to see where Richards is at. Do I think Mike Richards could come in and beat out Anton Lander for a job if Richards were to, you know, if Richards and his agency were to? Uh, look at Edmonton. Yeah, I do because of what Anton didn't do last year, and because of what Mike Richards might be able to do. I mean, Mike's a more experienced player, but again, he's got to prove it. And so, it wouldn't surprise me if Richards' agents talking to three or four different teams. They're just picking out the best case scenario for him. I think there'd be an opportunity here. I think the organization would probably be quite open to it, given his relative experience um, and the success that he's had during the course of his career. It just give the team a little bit different dimension. Um, and, but again, he'd have to play. Reed would be a playing spot, you know? That's, yep. that's what it would be. And he'd have to prove that he could do it. And the number one question, you nailed it, puts me. You know, because the Oilers, all right, they don't have Taylor Hall. Uh, they've replaced, in theory, Hall to a certain degree with Lucic. And, and then the wild card is how good of a player is Jesse Pugliarvi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, whenever you watch the Yessi Pugliarvi highlight talk, the one thing he can do that a lot of the other other players can't do is he can one-time the puck, and that has me intrigued. So I know there's, you know, there's a difference between a guy 19th to 25th making his way onto an NHL team. Like, it's not like Taylor Hall or uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't warrant being on the teams in the years that they were drafted number one. And certainly some people would say the same case about, about – uh, Connor McDavid. And a year ago at this time, Pulley Arby was sitting at number two behind Austin Matthews. He drops to number four. I certainly think he can make the team as well. Well, and, and again, I mean, I don't think this is with Pugliarvi. I don't think it's quite the same situation as Dreisaitl two years ago, Bob, when we were often asked, is Dreisaitl going to make the team? Yeah. And our short answer was always yes. And we were saying that not even having seen the kid in an NHL training camp, we just both figured that there wasn't, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but I figured there just wasn't enough competition at center. And the head coach at the time basically said that, one of the first things he said at training camp. With, I mean, the Oilers' right wing is not, uh, stocked, but it, it's not as automatic that Pugliarve goes in there, especially, like you said, if there's some versatility at center and Dreisaitl could go over to the right side. I, I like what you said about Richards adding a different dimension. That's been a priority for Shirelli in his 16 months on the job, is to give the Oilers those different dimensions. Uh, I, You know, the Hall trade, that's going to be tough for a lot of fans. I get it. It's a risk. Lucic adds that different dimension. It's still not a deep crew, right? Like, I, I don't look at this as a deep crew. I don't look as the top call-up from AHL uh, being an automatic contributor wherever somebody's going to fill in. So that's where a Richards type uh, is is appealing if he does play in because at least he has 
uh, you know, if you want to call it the veteran savvy or whatever term you want to do, at least at least he has that. And there's another. And Todd McClellan likes reliable guys. That's why Latestu got to play a lot. So maybe he adds that little bit of that reliability if he can play his way onto the team. Well, that's a completely fair comment. I mean, here's the thing about Paul Yarby. I'm, I'm here to tell you right now. I, my guess is Jesse Pohiarvi already plays a better all-around game than Neil Yakupov. Like, <laughs> again, back to you only get one chance to make a first impression. Yak had a good start going when he was playing with McDavid. As soon as McDavid went out, Yak went back to being what we'd seen out of Yakupov basically the, the two previous years. And, and, and you know, Pohiarvi's big. He can skate. He can protect the puck. And it'll just be quick, you know, how quick he can assimilate. Now, what's happened, Reed, is because, as you know, the order's been bad. Everybody wants to criticize them. But there are certain players capable of playing in the NHL right away, and it's not necessarily Ruxman. No one would second-guess McDavid. You can't argue Hall. He's done all he could do at the major junior level, and he was a very productive player in his rookie year. Nugent Hopkins was a very productive, 52 points in 62 games in his rookie year. Even Yakupov was a fairly productive player, and something went astray afterwards. And they're going to have to ensure moving forward with the development of their players if that doesn't occur. But, you know, they waited on Jordan Everly. And in Dreisaitl's case, and I'll always say this, everybody on the team's scoring was down until the coaching changes made that year. And then everybody's numbers spiked, and Dreisaitl did not have that benefit of playing for Todd Nelson on a power play that for three months, Reed Wilkins was number one in the NHL. So I, I think it's going to be an intriguing camp. There's lots of guys to watch. Now you've had Kevin Carrius on your show, and he brought up a good point. You know, where's Reinhardt going to fit in this? Mm-hmm. And and I still wonder if that's to be decided. Like, if there is a move made, you know, does, does, I, I know that you could get Cody Franson out of Buffalo. That might answer some questions on the right shot uh, for uh, a look on the power play, a guy that could move it a bit offensively from the back end. And then factor that in with you know you got to give up something to get something and you know Buffalo not getting Jimmy VC mm-hmm. and what's the status of Evander Kane does that make a Neil Yakupov they player more attractive I don't know if I do Yakupov straight up for uh, uh, for France and Spec City would I, I think if I was Peter Shirelli I might try to ask for a little bit more you know maybe a guy like Gergensen who knows but uh, and maybe the owners would have to send something back in that scenario I just I know this. My belief is Peter Shirelli and Todd McClellan aren't done, and they might not be done until after the World Cup, before the start of the regular season. Just in terms of how the timing and all this read works, so it should be fun. Well, and that's another thing that's going to make training camp interesting for me, Bob. Is that I mean, you and I will uh, we're going to go to Penticton, I guess, in uh, what uh, two and a half weeks now, and we're going to come back and we'll have the Golden Bear game. And then we'll have camp, and it's you're right. It's going to be where you mentioned, uh, and Secker won't be there as well, right? So there's yeah. there's a fifth of the team not there, and the head coach and an assistant coach. So it is going to have this different vibe, and it, it is going to open up things. And, and you're right. I mean, the the the, the main evaluators, Shirelli and McClellan won't be there on a day-to-day basis. So I imagine they're going to be watching a lot of video and playing a lot of catch-up. And, and sure, maybe maybe there's a partner with a game left in the preseason for a swap. That would be because I, I have, have we seen a trade in the preseason with this team over the last few years? I'm trying to remember. I don't think we have. No, but Shirelli made uh, you know the Boychuk trade in Boston as he had to get his uh, team cap compliant. And there was concern moving forward, right? He dumped Johnny Boychuk from the New York Islanders. Remember, I was 
Garcia was getting ripped because he butchered the uh, trade for Bannock, and then he turned around and in a span of one hour got both Nick Letty and Johnny Boychuk and completely transformed his organization. So, I, I you know, LMA brought the point up when he was on with us. He just said, you know, Bob, I think there's going to be some moves after the World Cup and before the start of the regular season, and that's I couldn't argue with that. Like to me, that made a lot of sense, and uh, because there are some big time managers. You know, there's there's several guys that are involved in putting these teams together. Um, so we'll wait and see. I mean, the other option, Reed, for the center position is, let's say they bring a guy like Richards in and he can't skate. Mm-hmm. You can still claim someone off of waivers. We brought up Derek Ryan in the past with Carolina. Uh, there are people in the organization, the Oilers organization, I think, that think that Derek Ryan might be better than a couple options at center in the Oilers organization, uh, at least one. And, uh, and then a guy like Mark McNeil, who just hasn't been able to get in the good books with, uh, you know, the head coach. There's Joel Quenville. So, you know, maybe they're both right shots and they both, they both can skate. That could be intriguing for the Oilers as an option to pick up one of those two guys if other guys don't go out and claim a job. And, and again, we don't even know where Richards is going to end up. But if I was in Richards' camp, I would look at Edmonton as a possible option. And to me, he's the right age to compete for a job. Yeah, fair. We're talking a lot of what ifs, obviously, because it's August thirtieth. But I mean, Derek Ryan came up and 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 did a decent job uh, helping Carolina's power play as well. And that's that that's another huge thing that's going to be under scrutiny this year because, you know, Todd McClellan, uh, what was it, six of his seven years in San Jose had a top ten power play, and then last year the Oilers once again um, couldn't crack the top twenty. So there's another there's yet another storyline. However, they were over twenty percent within the forty five games that Connor McDavid was in the lineup. It was the 37 games that they didn't have, and they were only at 13% on the power play, and they didn't have a right shot from the point. I mean, they, if you take a look at Paul Yarby's power, at his, at his goals that he can, you know, he scored, if you go to his highlight package, he can one-time the puck. That might, you know, to me, that's an option for the Oilers on the power play. If they were to theoretically to go get a guy like Franson, they could end up with as many as three right-handed shots on a power play run by Connor McDavid. So, uh, that, that could be intriguing again, but we're still talking what if. No question. All right. Who do you have on your show tomorrow, Bob? Jim McDonald uh, from the Oilers is going to come in and uh, answer some questions about Rogers' place. Uh, and uh, no, right now, Reed, you and me do not have parking for next Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk to Cam Connor. Oh, nice. A, uh, he played with Wayne Gretzky. He played with uh, Gordy Howe. He scored a huge goal for the Oilers. And he was best friends with Rowdy Roddy Piper growing up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. What? An entertaining guy. Oh, yep. gee, okay. And, and we've also, uh, we're working on two other guests uh, that we'll just leave it at that. But thanks for having me on, Reed. Yeah, good to talk to you again, Bob. Have a good night, buddy. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bob Stoffer checking in. You get him every day. Oilers now, new to two right here on 630. Chad, you'll be hearing a lot more from Bob here as we uh, roll into hockey season. Mark texting in. He says, I'm glad you guys are not the GM. You could have got Cody Franson for nothing last year, and now you want to trade for him. LOL, and he can't skate. That is from Mark. Well, Mark, uh, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the GM as well. I'm happy with this job. It is 7.50. It's Inside Sports on 630. Chad, quick timeout. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, the Blue Jays lose tonight 5-3 to the Orioles as we check your crystal glass scoreboard. Crystal glass for all your glass needs. You can call 310-GLASS 
today. Jay Happ gets a no decision. He's had a great year for the Blue Jays, obviously. Six and a third tonight. He allowed six hits, three runs. All of them earned. He struck out three. Jason Grilly takes the loss. He gave up a couple of runs in the uh, bottom of the eighth. So the Orioles move three back of the Blue Jays for first in the American League East. And it is the Rays and the Red Sox going at it in the top of the ninth at Fenway. Tampa Bay leads Boston 4-3. So the Rays uh, could do the Jays a favor there. Fun watching the Blue Jays race here as we move towards the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, there's always that uh, debate, what's your what's your favorite time of year in sports? I, I think for a lot of people, it's either September, October, or March, April. You know what, Matthew? For me, it's probably March, April. Yeah? Because I, I really like following the, uh, the NCAA basketball tournament, just because it's such a wild, frenzied event. Every game is, is game seven. Into April, you get the end of the NHL regular season and the first round of the playoffs where there's tons of action every night, right, and upsets and overtime and games on from 5 until midnight in this time zone usually, right? Yeah, so that's a lot of fun. The Masters is and on And the Masters, well. and I'm probably one of the few people that say that because I know I, as I, whenever I bring it up, I always find out from listeners I'm a way bigger golf fan than most of you, but I love watching the golf majors. I watched the, a lot of the final round of the Olympics this year. So I think I prefer the spring, though there's a lot of great arguments for the. I mean, if you had to pick one month, well, that'd be, I'd probably pick April. Hmm. Though uh, you get, I mean, in October you have CF, you have CFL stretch drive, you have hockey starting, you have NFL into its second month, and you have uh, baseball playoffs. Yes, and for some of us that care about college football, and college, college football, football full rolling. throttle too. Yes, so it's a great month for sports, Reed. I mean, university. You know, I mean, if you're yep. in the CIS, CIS is going starts, too. Right? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a good month. But I, I see where you're coming from for March and April because all, a lot of sports, Reed. You know, the races are starting to happen. I mean, baseball comes back on. They, that's whatever. But in NBA and NHL, races are happening for the playoffs. It's a good time of the year. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. We have Jason Strudwick on the phone last night, former NHL defenseman. Now uh, over at City TV, uh, one of the hosts on uh, Dinner Television. You know, one of those, uh, you know, Matthew, one thing I always say is there are a lot of phrases in hockey that sometimes get overused and then we sort of forget what they mean, like culture. I think sometimes we have to get back to what that talks about. Certainly the one that I've mocked is playing the right way. Uh, and then another one I think sometimes is harder to play against. And I thought Strudwick last night gave, gave a really good kind of summary or a specific example of what it ex- of some things you can actually do to be harder to play against. You can fight for your, like when I say fight, you can compete for your body position in front of the net. And one of the things I'd like to see this Oilers group do this year, more than they've done in the past number of years, is when the play's in the corner, let's say it's still left the Cam Tower in the corner, and um, you know they're, they're playing whoever, uh, Johnny Goudreau. Johnny Goudreau feeds the puck up to the, the, the point men. Instead of just turning and sprinting to the front of their net to confront them there, I'd like to see the Oilers defenseman make that forward work to get out of the corner. And for me, that's what being hard to play against is. You you stand your entire tier ice, and as he's going to net, you kind of back off slowly, but stand in his way, make him work for it, make him work for it, make him work for it, till he gets in front of the net. And now by the time he's got there, the play is either not developed, which happens, or B, the, the rebound's already gone. Or the shots already happened, the rebound's already cleared out of there. And when you watch Duncan Keith and, and Drew Doughty, two of the top defense in the NHL, there, there's no doubt about it. They make those forwards 
earn every single just centimeters of ice. And for too long, we haven't seen the Oilers D-man do that. And I think that is something that if I'm the D-man or the, uh, or the coach of the Oilers on the defense especially, I say, guys, we got to be harder to play against. And this is how you do it. And trying to read between the lines of what guys talk about Adam Larson and a couple guys I talked to about him, he does a good job with that. He's not physical. But he's hard to play against. And I'd rather be have a guy being hard to play against all the time rather than physical some of the time. All right. So I, I like that explanation from uh, from Jason Starter because so often we use phrases or terminology that are related to the end result. But I, I think, some, and I'm guilty of it too, I, I think sometimes we don't often talk about all the pieces that you have to put in to add up to that end result. And that's and that's where, where I come from with play the right way. I mean, coaches don't say to a guy, well, go play the right way. No, they go, they go say, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're in, in this position in your D zone. Make sure you're back checking. Make sure you position your body this way when you fight for a puck. So I, I think Strudwick there, you know, coaches don't say to players, go be hard to play against. No, they say, Here, here's the menu for being hard to play against, and let's make sure we're selecting the appropriate thing at, at the right time. Always good to have Strudwick on the show. The full interview by going to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Going to be a fun final hour of the show. Tom Gazzola from Oilers TV is going to check in, and we'll talk to a, a, a teenager from St. Albert who's trying to bring body checking back in minor hockey in Edmonton. He will tell us why he is doing that after the 8 o'clock news. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.